Craft Beer Radio, Episode 6, July 22nd, 2005. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And I'm Jeff Bear. Tonight, our beer is going to be the ESB, the Extra Special Bitter. We're also going to go over emails, talk about some news and festivals, answer questions, and follow up on more macro muck. Yes, back by popular demand again. <laughs> I think one of the most comments we got in the email this week was, love the macro muck. So you guys are going to make us feel dirty again by bashing on people who don't see beer the way we do. Sometimes I like to feel dirty, though. See we that. should, I guess, start with emails. Yes. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, everybody who emails us. We, we love getting emails. It really gives us motivation to keep going. Yeah, it, it definitely makes our day. And uh, we write, reply to everyone who writes us an right. email. You know, if you ask us a question, we usually answer the question in email because, you know, it's not our place to make you wait for the show. Right. We had several comments about our audio levels of the last episode. We apologize. Yeah. If you listen to the extra, you'll hear a little bit about our new equipment, which is coming in the mail. And we are getting some new equipment. And hopefully... We'll have better levels in the future. I'm excited about it. And I really want to apologize to um, Tim, who rides the motorcycle with the headphones on. Mm -hmm. When the closing music came up, he said he almost (laughs) fell off his bike. We don't don't like to lose listeners, so. Yeah. See, that's why it's dangerous wearing headphones under your helmet, Tim. (laughs) We're just trying to teach you a valuable life lesson. Okay. Yes. Next, we need to thank... (laughs) (laughs) Honest, folks, we've only had one beer so far today. We need to thank Richard from California. He listens to us on his commute. He dri- commutes an hour every day on the train. I think he's on the train. Maybe he drives. I can't remember. Our show motivated him to start using his homebrewing equipment. He bought some homebrewing equipment at a yard sale, and he never really got around to using it. He was getting ready to sell it himself, oh. and listening to our show, he's going to start homebrewing. Well, that's great. And we really need to thank him because he is our first donator. Oh, well, thank you very much. The Rogue Brutal Bitter tonight is brought to you by Richard from California. George uh, from Portland, Oregon, likes the idea of the extra content that we've been putting in. And he said they have a promise of being good additions to the show. Well, eh, we'll see. Yeah. We actually like doing it. We don't get many downloads of the extra content, so we'd like to remind everybody that, they are, that there's extra content available from every show on our website. Yeah, there's a second podcast feed. If you go to our website, you'll see the feed, and you can just add that to your iTunes or your other podcast aggregator. Right. And you can get the extra content along with the show when it comes out. He said he tried our, our Boot Amber Ale because of the review on the show. He saw it before, but he thought the label looked like a macro label, which some of these beers, I guess, are guilty of. In order to sort of inspire people to, to notice their label, they get kind of elaborate, and people tend to associate that with macros sometimes. It's a good thing that, you know, we let him know Anderson Valley is a good brewery, and now he's going to try it out. Did he try it out? Yeah. I don't okay. think he mentioned what, what, what he felt. But he did mention he tried it, so I hope we hope you liked it, because we definitely liked it. Okay, our next email was from Stephen from Uly, Florida, and he had a question for us. He wanted us to explain what the IBUs in a beer are. The International Bittering Units. Bittering Units. And how they were calculated. Okay, the IBUs in a beer are the amount of bitterness, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that is put into the beer from the hops you had at the beginning of the boil. Exclusively from hops. Right. The isomerization that takes place Mm -hmm. is what takes the alpha acids and gets it to infuse into the beer. Okay. And it adds the bitterness. 
it is different from the hoppiness that you get in IPAs, the flavor and the aroma. Right. So a really aroma hoppy beer probably has a high bitterness too, but that hops that you're tasting isn't isn't doesn't mean the beer has a higher IBUs than you would think. That comes from the end when when you hop at the end, right at the yeah. Uh, the hops you had at the very end of the well in the last fifteen minutes or so. They or had, I'm sorry, go ahead. They add the the flavor and the aroma. And the longer you boil it, that stuff gets boiled out, it goes away, evaporates, and what you do is your, the bitterness. it leaves the bitterness, and the longer you boil hops, the more bitterness you get into the beer, or and, the more hops you add. And there's also dry hopping. Right, dry hopping doesn't add any IBUs to the beer, right. just flavor and aroma. Mm-hmm. And that's dry hopping, let's explain, is... Dry hopping is when you add hops to the beer in the fermenter. Right. Typically after the primary fermentation is done and the activity of the fermenter settles down, you add some hops to it. And it adds, you know, a wonderful fresh hop aroma to the beer and flavor. And a lot of IPAs you'll find are dry hopped, Mm -hmm. and that's why. So how are the IBUs calculated? The IBUs are calculated by a formula. W sub H times AA percent times U sub AA times V sub W times 1.34. So make sure you're writing all this down. Right. It's it's a calculation um, where you take the alpha acids and you multiply it by the volume of the wort and the weight of the hops used. And uh, 1.34 is a cons- constant factor that adjusts the measurement to account for use of U.S. customary units. Uh, so instead of the metric system, right, you have the imperial. So yeah, basically you're taking the amount of alpha acids it gets infused into the wort and that's IBUs mm-hmm. and you know the more water you get the more dilute it is so the IBUs would go down for the same volume makes sense uh, Stephen also had another question which was he's trying to get his wife involved in beer drinking and you actually have this problem as well she likes Liedemann's Frambois and wants to know of any other beers that are similar in non-hoppiness or traditional non-beer flavor Jeff yes uh, my wife she likes Lindemann's Frambois, and I have not found another beer that she enjoys to drink. Um, I've, mm-hmm. She'll try just about any fruit beer that I put in front of her, but most of them taste like a fruit beer. Right. Where if you've had Lindemann's Frambois, you know it would taste somewhere along the lines of a raspberry champagne, not quite a wine cooler because it doesn't have that malt right. liquor type or that malt um, beverage type taste to it. It still has a genuine beer taste to it. There, there's something in there that says this is still a beer, but. It's very far removed from most of the beers that we drink. Yeah, it's a lambic. You get a little bit of the tartness to it, but it's not as tart as, you know, a, a original, or not an original, but, you know, a plain old mm-hmm. lambic lambic. And she likes it. There's a couple other Lindemann's flavors. My wife also likes the Lindemann's Pesh, the peach-flavored one. Okay. So that's uh, to start, I guess. The two other ones she doesn't really care for, the the Creek, which is black cherries, and the cassis, which is black currant. Ooh, the cassis I've had, and I don't like it either. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I couldn't drink a whole bunch of it, but Ooh, it I'd is. probably have it again if you know. That currant flavor is just—it's not me. Okay, it, it reminds me a little bit of like a, a minty or a wintergreen, and yeah, and it—it it was like trying to drink a, a wintergreen wine cooler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> didn't didn't quite fit. As far as real beers that you might be able to get her into, I would suggest. Uh, some other Belgian styles, you might be able to find something that she likes the characteristics to. Mm-hmm. Or, I think a Hefeweizen with that citrusy lemon. I think that would probably be a good gateway out of Lindemann's. Maybe that or a Vit with... Uh, a Vit with the yes, bitter orange or yeah, the coriander or something right, like something that. Yeah, something like that. Could be. It's uh, 
if someone finds the you know the gateway beer, let me know because yeah. you know, my wife buying cases of Lindemann's Rambois puts a little dent on the pocketbook sometimes. <laughs> it's a trick because beers are all hoppy, uh, you know, at least the, the the beers that we generally like to drink, and kind of bold. Mm-hmm. And uh, bringing somebody in that isn't familiar with that, it's hard to bring. It's hard just to get them to appreciate it. Yeah. See, right now my wife would tell you she doesn't like the taste of beer. She just likes the Lindemann's Rambois because it's raspberry right and you know the trick is to to slowly get her introduced and get her to like the flavor of beer without really realizing she's liking beer because she might just shut down if she realizes <laughs> that you're giving her beer and she's liking it because she seems like she almost has that i give her a, a great beer like um let her smell an ip or something and she comes back with her stock answer it smells like Coors light like what how can you say that <laughs> and i think she's just you know, saying it to get my feathers a little bit ruffled because she likes to have fun with me that yeah. way. That, and I just think people have a perception that, you know, once that perception is ingrained in their head, it's hard to get rid of it. Yeah. I don't know, you know, she tried Frambois and liked it for the first time. You know, so she should try other ones, but she's not that open to the idea. Who knew? I I never understand that. I think we mentioned before. I love trying all types of new food, all types of new drinks, and it, I'll try anything. And if I don't like it, I don't like it, but I'm going to give it a shot. Okay, the uh, last email we're going to go over in this show is from Andrew. He'd love to hear a show on smoked porter, or porters in general with a look at smoked porter, or smoked beers in general. He well, said, <laughs> um, we're not going to do porters yet, right. smoked, or, smoked or otherwise, until the get, weather gets a little bit colder, um, just because it's, it's more typically a fall or winter beer. Uh, we do have, in Jeff's cellar, <laughs> Some of perhaps the best smoked beer in the world. Yes, I have two bottles left of Alaskan smoked porter. Last year I was in Alaska, Juneau, Alaska, mm-hmm. and I bought a vertical four-pack from the brewery where they had 99, 2000, 2001, 2000, 2001, and 2002. And we had two of them, the two older ones, and the, the younger, the 2000, was tasting a little bit... The first one had so much more flavor to yeah. it, and it, the second one wasn't as mellow. So I'm gonna planning on putting the other two away for a while. Maybe for a special landmark show, we'll do the smoked beers, yeah. and we'll open those up. There's a couple other smoked beers that you know we can get our hands on. Stone makes a smoked porter, and Harpoon does as well. So we could do a smoked porter show. I think we've all we, we tried them all. Uh, I'll be honest with you. In my assessment, I mean nothing compares to the Alaskan smoked. Porter. Yeah, it's not gonna be much of a competition. Yeah. That's for sure. The show, I mean, we'll taste them, but, I mean, the first ones will just be wasting time until we can get to the Alaskan Smoke Porter, yeah, that's for sure. We're just going to be sort of anticipating that the whole show, like, come on, bring it on, bring it on. All right, time to go. Uh, thanks for the email. Oh, wait, everybody. you know what? We have one more email. Oh. On page two, we almost page forgot about two. Bill from Boston. He had a question for us, what we thought about drinks like Black Velvet. Black Velvet is where you put Guinness on top and hard cider on the bottom. There's also Black and Tans where you can put Bass or Harp on the bottom. One of those is called a half and half, uh-huh. I believe. And there's also black and reds where you can put the frambois underneath the Guinness. Um, what do we think of them? It's, it's up to your personal preference. I generally don't drink blended beers too often. Yeah. I, I, I like to go for what the brewer originally intended. Right. There is one blend that I've had that has I thought was really good. And if you're in this region where you can get both Victory beers and Great Lake beers, try a one-third Hop Devil two-thirds Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. It's it's a very interesting blend. There's a guy at one of our bars here, there's a guy, I forget his name now, but the beer's named after him. 
and it's pretty good. Really? Yeah, but I would just try that, you know, every once in a while. I wonder where I could get that. Uh, Creek House Creek is House. where I had it. Okay. So, Might be able to get it at Smoking Joe's. Yeah, certain times of the year you'll be able to find a bar that has both of those on tap. Mm. Has me on tap. I know the Jacks. Well, you could do it in bottles. Great Lakes. Which is actually, it's great because it's a crappy bar down in Southside. Okay. But it has great lakes there, so you always know you can get a good beer. Okay. I haven't been in the Jacks. <laughs> I've seen it many times. I was that big neon sign, but yeah. I've never been in there. It's a fun, fun place. <clears throat> yep, so if you find a place that has both those on tap, yeah, try it. One-third Hop Devil, two-thirds Edmund Fitzgerald. I don't but, know. you know, I really don't have a real opinion on it. If you like it, go for it. Um, if you're using Guinness for a lot of your... Blends, I would say, find a better stout to blend with. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's a good use for Guinness. I don't know. Maybe because Guinness is kind of bland compared to a lot of other stouts out there. Yeah. Could you imagine like a half and half of um, uh, Hop Devil and Rogue Shakespeare Stout or something? <laughs> I don't even want to think. Oatmeal that. IPA blended. Oh, boy, that's. <laughs> yeah, I. To be honest, I'm not a I'm not a blending fan, so I don't think that would be very good. I don't even know if I if I like the idea of Hop Devil combined with Edmund Fitz, but whatever. <laughs> Right. All right, well, now on to news. Okay, we've got a lot of new stuff I found this week. Interesting uh, things. It's a lot of industries-type news, which has been hard to find the last couple of weeks. And not all good news either. South America, S.A.B. Miller purchased South America's second-largest brewery. Oh, boy. So yeah, you're going to get more and more of the worldwide conglomerate pushing people around <laughs> they're going to make a stab at the um the brazilian brewer what's their name what is their name oh wait no oh belgian giant inbev who makes who distributes heineken i think and you know 100 mm-hmm. other beers bought the brazilian brewer so it's gonna be like a big battle from sab miller and inbev fighting it out in south america it really is a shame that and and I don't know if this sort of macro mock or not, but it really is a shame that so much of the beer market is dominated by these poor pilsner imitations. And there's just there's so much out there, and like we're trying to get the word out that there are so many great beers out there. And I know that if people were exposed to them, they'd really enjoy them and they'd want a better variety. But people just get exposed to only these cheapo pilsners and people say this has more taste than this one you're like do they really <laughs> because it's all just some of the most part of the part that i found in this story is the numbers involved miller paid 4.8 billion for bavaria which is that brewer the second largest brewer mm-hmm. in south america and interbrew when they bought ambev and turned into mbev was a 9.7 billion dollar deal so I guess yes, beer a of, is a lot of worth a lot of bucks in South America. There's <laughs> a lot of money in that crappy beer. In other news, Imbev sells German Coca-Cola bottling unit. So they're getting out of the co- colas and you know buying up breweries in South America. I'd like to point out how brilliant Coca-Cola is for taking the the water that they would use and put Coke syrup in and just selling it as Dasani. <laughs> Oh, is that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's essentially what they're doing. They're well, taking... I knew Dasani was just filtered water. Yeah. But I never realized it was like <laughs> Coke's water. Yeah. So you got to give them credit they for They should that. advertise that. <laughs> Coca-Cola's water. All the Coke fans would love it. Uh, let's see. Thousands of protests prospective listing of beer company on the Thai Stock Exchange because they think that this will promote, this will encourage drinking. 
the company will need to make a profit and will encourage drinking. So there'll be a drinking problem in Thailand if the company goes public. What happens in Thailand stays in Thailand. I guess. Private <laughs> companies don't promote their business to make money in Thailand? Who knows? I guess... Sounds like... Um, That's a weird one. Sounds like some prohibitionists are just trying to spread their FUD. Indeed. Uh, back to the North Carolina thing. Uh, we talked about this couple shows already, and it looks like, unfortunately, the they bottled it up. stalled. They bottled it up in committee. Yeah. It looks like if it went to the Senate floor, there'd be enough yes votes to get it passed, but one senator... I don't have his name here. Yeah, the senator bottled up in committee, and it might not ever see the floor. Boo on you, Mr. Senator. Boo on you. <laughs> Uh, a U.S. brewer has recreated history by brewing a beer that was first brewed in China nearly 9,000 years ago. Can you guess which brewery that would be? <laughs> uh, if I had one guess, I would say Dogfish Head Craft Brewery. You'd be right. Yep. Well, I, I also found the article, but I still would have guessed. And I, actually, I've heard about this story a couple mm. months ago, but I still would have guessed Dogfish Head. Worked with some archaeologists who found some residues in pottery jars from ancient China and they kind of tried to recreate what brew would have been in there so they took their best guess and they made this beer I wish I knew how to pronounce it Chateau Jaihu or something along those lines Chateau Jaihu probably something along those lines okay it's described as having a very intriguing taste and aroma that's not the normal way I'd characterize a beer so yeah. I'm kind of curious I don't think it'll be sold no, it it won't be made for production. I yeah. doubt that. But he's done this a couple other times. He uh, brewed a twenty seven year, twenty seven hundred year old drink, found in a royal tomb in Turkey before. Hmm. Uh, they found some residue or a brew that was still liquid, maybe. I don't know. If it had to be a good clay seal jar or something. But he's done this before. He's worked with the universities and archaeologists to try to recreate these beers. Yeah, I've had a gruit before, which is sort of a Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, style beer and it's very good I, I liked it a lot it wasn't hot it didn't have any hops but it was really tasty in the last news piece one of our listeners wrote in to point out and it was the one where um, some college students in Copenhagen put out a beer recipe and put it out under the Creative Commons license so you're yeah. free to modify it and everything the recipe itself was a caffeinated beer Oof. amber so not necessarily Budweiser B to the E but I mean it still didn't sound like that great of a beer. It just seems like a, a, a Linux open source beer geek doing yeah. something that really didn't need to be done. I mean, if you go search for beer recipes online, you're going to find hundreds Plenty, and thousands yeah. that you're allowed to use, and you can change them. That's part of recipes. No yeah, one really licenses like... their beer recipe. It's... Well, except for the big brewers that have something <laughs> right. to protect. But home brewers don't license their beer recipes. So, you know, getting some, getting it right up and wired and some other news articles about having this open source beer. Yeah. It, it, it seems like proselytizing open source where it doesn't really need to be proselytized. I mean, the thing is that they have this concept. Whenever people explain open source and open source software, they like to say free as in speech, not free as in beer. Because they, don't, they, they want to imply that this is free speech, not necessarily free software. But yeah, the, the, idea is, in, the ideas are free. Free as in beer means you get to drink free beer because it's free as in price. Right. And that's the difference. And most open source software is Free is and free price also, but when you talk about open source free software, you're talking about the idea being free. So anyway, this is free as in beer and free as in beer. 
Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, you know, that's about the funny pun out of it. But other than that, I just don't see the point. Yeah. And I, I put all my beer recipes that are on my website under the Creative Commons license, too. But they're in the. Oh, I'll just Our show is under the Creative Commons yeah. license. I'll just as easy put them in the public domain, which they are, you know? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Okay, we have a couple um, festivals and events. And since we taped a day late, I can scratch the first one off the list. <laughs> Yesterday, you can go see the Sam Adams Brewery with owner Jim Cook. Today. And today, I mean, we're gonna, not going to have this up until... <laughs> yeah. Well, no, today, the one for the 22nd, is okay. an all-week-long thing. And I was on this last year. The All About Beer Seattle to Alaska Beer Cruise is leaving today. <laughs> well... <laughs> well, I want to just talk about okay. the cruise in general and not really... Maybe use it under, like, an event then instead of just, you know... Or as a news instead of an event. Yeah. Last year, I went on the All About Beer beer cruise, and it was great. We left Seattle. We cruised up to Juneau, Alaska. The nights that were at sea, we have beer tastings and beer festivals on the ship. And the, when we were in port, we toured breweries, and it was great. Got that. That's where I got my Alaskan smoked right. porter. That's where I, on the last night of this cruise, we had our big beer tasting. That's where I got the taste of the Sam Adams Utopias that we've talked about in previous shows. And one of the best parts is once you get back to Seattle, spend a day there, do a brewery tour in the afternoon or a pub crawl at night. <laughs> and, yeah, there's some great beers in Seattle. So keep an eye out for these. If you go to All About Beer magazine, you should be able to find a link. They have a, one in the fall, too, that leaves from Boston and goes up to Nova Scotia. So if you like cruises and you like beer, these are definitely worth your worth the money. We had a great time. My wife liked the cruise part, and I liked the beer part. <laughs> Together, the perfect vacation. Also coming up is uh, the 8th Annual Michigan Summer Beer Festival on the 23rd. Tomorrow. So download this, listen to our show, <laughs> and run back out. I guess these events, we I didn't really think ahead enough, and I put these up. Yeah. Um, we have one for uh, next weekend, the Oregon Brewers Festival on the 28th. On July 28th, we have the Oregon Brewers Festival. That's so That's probably the only one that you can get to, unless you're real quick. And listen to these tomorrow. You can go to um, beeradvocate.com and look at their events calendar, and you'll find all the beer events, and you won't be left out in the cold by my bad planning. Okay, I guess we're going to move on to our beer now, and uh, our beer is the extra special bitter, the ESB. So let's explain a little bit about what the ESB is. Okay, ESB is a traditional English style. You have bitters. There's one called the special bitter, which is a little bit stronger because it has more malt to it. it. Typically, it seems that the designations have to do with how much malt and mm-hmm. actually the quality of the malt I read in one write-up. And then you have the extra special bitter, which is the strongest of the three. It has a fair amount of alcohol, typically 4 to 7%, where, you know, a bitter is a session beer, so it would be 3 to 4 to 5% right. somewhere in there. So these are a little bit higher. You're going to get sort of a toasty uh, taste, some maltiness, not a whole lot of hoppiness, but some fruitiness is going to come through. There's going to be uh, you want to you expect to have some bitterness at the end. You know, it's called a bitter after all. The standard, the one that you know is probably the most popular, and it's from England, is Fuller's ESB. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good one. We didn't taste it here tonight. I didn't see it at the uh, shop when we went to go pick them up. What sort of uh, food goes with this? Okay, the uh, food um, listed on the, the the style guidelines on Beer Advocate. They mentioned barbecue. Seems like they do barbecue for. Every beer we taste. Yeah, I mean, I understand. When you're thinking of something as kind of a malty beer, you expect that barbecue would go well with it because you're, you're caramelizing all those sugars on the meat and on maybe some of the, 
some rubs or sauces you have on there, and that's going to go well with the malt, which is essentially caramelized sugars. I think it's a beer that would go good with a lot of food. I mean, just about anything. Yeah. It's a good dinner beer, the ESBs, I think. I think that bitterness in a beer really helps with food. I think that that kind of encourages you to eat more, and it brings out some of the extra flavors in the food. In the same sense that salt brings out flavor, the bitterness from the, from the drink will bring out some flavor, too. As a reverse of that, I find that um, something salty like pretzels or tortilla chips bring out the flavor in beer, too. Hmm. So... There'll be times I'm drinking a beer and like this doesn't taste too good, and I'll get you know we'll be at the Mexican restaurant Mad Max and <laughs> and they'll get the tortillas and I'll have a couple of tortillas and then the beer just opens up right yeah. away. Well, salt in general just sort of heightens all flavors, so yep. it makes sense. Cheese, you'd say like sort of a brie, a gouda, like a, a buttery type cheese. Yeah, we got two kinds of cheeses, two different styles of cheeses here. We have got the buttery, like the the brie gouda. They even mentioned uh, Swiss and Havarti, and also nutty cheeses, Asiago Colby. Parmesan. Right. I can see that. And it, like I said, I, I could see this beer going with a whole bunch of different cheeses, foods. Mm-hmm. It just, I think it matches up with a lot of things very well. There's no sort of special glassware you need. Just a regular pint glass or a mug will be fine. Mm-hmm. And the serving temperature, pretty cold, 45 to 50. Yeah, that's what we've been using for a lot of these beers recently, too. Yeah. Unless you're getting into the higher alcohol, imperial stouts, IPAs, barley wines, old ales, looks like 45 to 50 is going to be a general style. And then the next step down, the 40 to 45s are going to be some of the lagers, the yeah. pilsners, the hefeweizens, the, the crisp beers. Yeah. Okay, well, it looks like we're going to take a pause right now and have our beers come to temperature. Jeff will undoubtedly play some sort of sound, and that will be the <laughs> indicator that we're on to our beer fit, to our beer drinking time. Hey, guys, guess who made this week's cover of Stupid Coincidence magazine? And we're back. Our first beer is Red Hook ESB. This is from the Red Hook Ale Brewery in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, also Woodenville, Washington. They have an annual production of 250,000 barrels. That's half a million barrels here. Quite a big brewery. Uh, and a distribution area nationwide. Uh, this is actually one of those bitters that's not that bitter. Uh, IBU is a 24.3. So in comparison to others, we're going to try. Uh, I was saying to Greg earlier that Red Hook ESB is probably one of the first beers that I recognized as a microbrew. You know, before I was into beer at all, mm-hmm. you know, friends would have beer here or there, and, you know, they were drinking Red Dog and, you know, stuff like <laughs> that. And I remember once we came across Red Hook ESB and knew of it as a microbrew. So, you know, that was the first one I really realized it was a microbrew. And if you take a look at the color, you have a uh, an, an amber... A little cloudy amber with a very uh, small head, sort of a silky head, I guess you'd say. And the smell is sort of, um, well, there's a little bit of a hoppiness. There's a little bit of hop. It has a fresh hop smell yeah. to it. it. It's an enjoyable aroma on it. With some grassiness underneath, I think. Yeah, there's not much malt in the smell. Yeah. It, it's a hoppy smell. So A citrusy hoppy smell. It has a hoppy smell. It really brings a lot of citrusy taste is sort of uh, around the mouth. The mouthfeel is kind of medium. Mm-hmm. My first first thing that comes to mind is that it is quite flavorful and quite yeah. hoppy for such a large and established beer. This beer has been brewed since 1982. And you figure they must be doing something right. right. What I'm really tasting is the, the hoppiness around your mouth and then it kind of ends it with a maltiness on the back of your tongue. 
being brewed since 1982, I'm kind of surprised that it has such a, a sort of hop flavor to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not in-your-face hoppy, but it's not as subtle as you would expect from an old ESB like this or a traditional English-style right. one. You expect it to be a lot more subtle than this is. So it was a pleasant surprise. I like the, the hoppiness. I'm trying to place what kind of hops these are because it's not like a Cascade, and it's not sort of a Kent Goldings. It's, it's a citrusy... Almost lemony orangey. I have that information for you. Oh, really? Yes, the hop varieties are a Willamette and a Tetnang. Hmm. So the Tetnang is a German-style hop, and uh, I think the Willamette is as well. I would have to go double-check to see where the, my, the hops come from. It's really a different hop flavor than I'm used to getting from a lot of American beers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have the citrusy and the floral so much. It's yeah. a little more grassy. And, uh, yeah, so it's different than a lot of the American ESBs. It's kind of a dry finish, too. It has a dry middle and a malty finish, I'm finding. Like, when it's, like, almost gone, it's starting to get sweet again. I don't know if I taste that the same way, because I sort of, um... I mean, I'm tasting the maltiness in the middle, and it just kind of, it's kind of right now pretty dry on my tongue. Okay. So, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'll take that. They have some health information here, so it's 179 calories for a 12-ounce bottle, 14.15 grams of carbs. This is not a light beer. No. But what flavorful beer is a light beer? I can't think of one. Don't recommend you uh, you put down your Budweiser Select if you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> it's really good. It, it's, um, it's, 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 it's. Yes. <laughs> it's um, it's not too exciting in any way, but it, like I said, it has more hops than I expected, and it's a good drinking beer. It's going down easy. It, I, I think it would really go well with food. I'd love to have a slice of pizza with this. I was thinking like some soft pretzels. Hmm. Yeah, that would go well too. I can almost, I think that a mustard taste would go well with this. Yeah, that's what I was... I think that's where I was getting at. Yeah. The salt and the pretzel, but also dipped in like a, like a spicy mustard yeah. or something. Would mm, be, that'd be good. Good. So someone send us some pizza and some pretzels before this beer is gone. <laughs> I, I'm surprised because I, I wasn't expecting much. I mean, the first ESB I thought of when I was thinking of ESB was Red Hook because I've seen it in so many places. But right. I just sort of assumed that oh, it's not going to be as good as some other ones. But this is actually pretty good. It's a little bit not what you expect. Because of that different hop taste. But I do like it. But uh, we're going to move on. Our next beer is uh, Rogue. We did Rogue last week. We're going to do Rogue again. This is Rogue's Brutal Bitter. This is a higher alcohol bitter. It's 6.5% alcohol. Using crystal hops this time. You mentioned the IBUs in the other one was like, what, 24? Mm-hmm. And the IBUs in this one is... 59. 59. So this is going to be, we expect, a little bit more bitter. Uh, Will it be brutally bitter? Uh, that's the idea, I suppose. Like uh, Red Hook is available in all 50 states, but their annual production is 32,000 barrels as opposed to Red Hook's 250,000. As we mentioned before, some of their distinguished beers, Shakespeare Stout, Imperial India Pale Ale, their Chocolate Stout... All types of great beers. Rogue makes a lot of good stuff. And this one has won a lot of awards. 
I, I was looking at the Rogue, Rogue website today, and I saw a beer there that I definitely want to try. They have a Juniper Ale. Ooh. Ju- Juniper Pale Ale. That's interesting. I mean, I had Dogfish Head's Apricot India Pale Ale. Right. So I wonder why how Juniper would go with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I just saw that. I'm like, ooh, that'd be <laughs> cool. I want to try that. Well, we're noticing, let's see, the, the, the color is a little bit darker than the Red Hook. This one's a lot cloudier. A the Red lot Hook, cloudier. The Red Hook seemed to be like a little bit cloudy, but you could see through it pretty clear still. This one is opaque. It's, yeah. it's cloudy. You can't get the whole way through the glass. has a nice fluffy head to it. And wow, there's, a, there's an aggressive hoppy aroma coming off of this one. My, no, my nose is broken. I can't, <laughs> I can't smell anything right now for some reason. With um, sort of a, a maltiness underneath, a malty backbone that's uh, smell. Okay, bitter. Mm. It, it's full mouthfeel. Yes. It has a lot of hop flavor to it. And the bitterness is very much at the forefront. Yeah. Uh, the first thing you taste is the bitterness, and it, and it travels throughout the entire taste. There's uh, sort of on top of that, riding on it, is a little bit of malt, but a lot of hop. And then it just sort of ends in the back of your mouth with sort of this bitterness taste. It kind of doesn't really fade. It has a lot of aftertaste. I really like it, but it, it's certainly a bitter one. So If you don't like bitter, then this might not be for you because this is pretty aggressively bitter. I think, you know, when they call it brutal bitter, they're not getting around. I, I'm thinking about food. The first thing that comes to my mind is a big hunk of barbecue chicken. I saw on the website that they also called this their imperial bitter. Imperial bitter roll. It does have a 6.5% alcohol, so... It's on the high end for the thing. I think maybe they're also implying from the imperial, not just alcohol, but intense flavor. Yeah. And because you're getting a lot of ESB in this one little beer here. It is, you know, it's, it's almost an extra strong bitter instead of extra special. <laughs> yeah, it's a super special bitter. Yeah, this is, um, it, it's, it's enjoyable. I'm not a huge fan of bitterness, but I like the way this is kind of wrapped in the other tastes. And the bitter is just going to go in through. But it's not the bitter where you're like, ah, spit it out. It's a bitter that is helped by what else is in the beer. Yeah. You get some of the the roasty, the, the toffee from the malts. You're getting a little bit of that. It's kind of hard to find with all the hops and bitterness. Uh-huh. But you're getting a little bit of, I'd say, the toffee flavor a little bit. And the tip of your tongue, I think. And the tip and maybe the sides. When you breathe in, you sort of it, it sort of excites that toffee flavor. There's bitterness that's staying on the end, on the back and the back ends of your tongue. And this is good. I don't know if I could drink too many of these, though. I mean, it, it's it's very aggressive. And you, you almost want to have something in between. I really like it. I'm kind of worried that this might beat up our tongues too much for the next beers, though. We might actually have to uh, stop and find some bread to eat before we can review <laughs> the next beer. We kind of mixed up the reviewing order this time because we seem to be doing order the beer we expect to be the best we put last. Right. And, you know, I kind of expected this one to be the best, the Rogue. And so we didn't want to put it last this time. But because it's so intense in flavor, maybe it should have been last. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I want to try the next one first and, and decide whether we need to taste it or not. I think okay. we have a drink of water and it should kind of go down. This one has won a lot of awards, like we said. Uh, Australian International Beer Awards won the Silver Medal in 2005. Won the gold at the World Beer uh, Championships in 2005. Uh, 2004, it won the bronze at the Australian International Beer Awards. 
back in 2000. It won the Bronze Year National Beer Summit. Yeah, I would say the this year's World Beer Championship was probably the, one of their most prestigious awards there. That, that makes have. sense because, I mean, as there are more and more brews coming out, more and more microbrews opening, mm-hmm. there's more and more competition. I yeah, the WBCs, are, they're pretty big. Um, it'd be nice to see a Great American Beer Festival award on there. Maybe they'll get this year's. I don't know because it's coming up in a month or two, I think. Maybe. I think it's in August. We should go on location. <laughs> Who wants to buy us a plane ticket to Colorado? Maybe we Anyone? should call up Rose. Anyone? <laughs> or we can call up Coors, right? They'll certainly fly us out there. Yeah. We talked about Coors Light. Yeah. We'll have to sell out just to get the plane <laughs> ticket. Mm, this silver bullet's great. <laughs> <laughs> this mountain water sure tastes good. It's, it's certainly cold mountain water. I'm glad they used it. <laughs> Okay, there goes that plane ticket. <laughs> Darn. I called Rogue today just to see what their distribution was, and they are indeed available in all 50 states. Fantastic. It's pretty nice. I figured they had most of the country, but you know, it's not often you see a brewery that has every single, yeah. a microbrewery that has every single state. So the good thing is, if you're listening, you'll be able to find some Rogues. Hopefully you can find this brutal bitter to uh, taste along with the show here. Sounds good to me. Our next beer uh, is from the Great Divide Brewing Company in Colorado. How about that? Okay. In Denver. It's the Hot Shot ESB. Have you had any Great Divide beers in the past? I have not. Neither have I. Mm, so very this good. is uh, this is a land-breaking moment for us. <laughs> I did see a bunch of these at D's when I was there last weekend. I was thinking about getting their uh, Denver Pale Ale mm-hmm. and a few others. I didn't get around to it. So, I'm pretty excited to see what this Great Divide beer tastes like. Well, let's give it a shot. Uh, they have an annual production of 16,000 barrels. They're available in 25 states with good coverage in the Northeast, where we are. And, uh, unfortunately, they're not available in California. You'd expect with them being in Colorado. It's... Yeah, when I called um, the lady that answered the phone, Mary, she was pretty helpful. But she didn't have the, the whole list in front of her of all the states. Or she didn't feel like rattling them off. I'm not sure which. But she told me about the Northeast and... I asked her, kind of expecting that they had the West Coast covered, but she said, no, they're hmm. not available in Colorado or California yet. She said that they pretty much wait for distributors to come to them saying they want their beer. And she said that they're pretty hot in Pennsylvania right now. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, so. I'd love to give them a shot. Crack it open. Let's see what we got. Has an alcohol rating of 5%. Uh, let's see what else. The brewery started in 1994. We don't really know what other beers they have. I assume they have, like you said, a pale ale. They have two beers that are pretty popular for me. They have a Yeti Imperial Stout, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've seen good things about that. I think it's in like the top, some of the best beers. Really? And um, what was their other beer? They have like an Imperial IPA or something that's pretty popular. I'll have to... I like the. I like it when, when companies put out something like an Imperial IPA or Imperial Stout. It means that they, they know what they're doing. And that... Ratebeer.com, best breweries in America. I think they were like in the 20s, 20, or wow. maybe 20, somewhere between 20 and 32. Somewhere I can't remember if it was like 22 or 32. Well, immediately I'm noticing that this isn't quite as opaque as the uh, the Rogue, it, but it's got that amber color and it's uh, cloudy, cloudier yeah. than the than, than the Red Hook. Poured with a huge head. Yeah, very. I poured them gentle, and I have four fingers of head on mine, and, I have about and Greg has two. Two or three. So, yeah, it's uh, small bubbles, but the head is not dissipating very quickly. 
Wow, that's a good smell. I, I smell Cascade hops. Big time. And, uh... At least I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> Brewers listening. No, that's not right. <laughs> Stupid idiots. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It's hard to tell. It smells like Cascade. Yeah. You get, I'm getting a little bit of, of the, the, the trademark, uh, citrusy yeah. out of it. I... With some really interesting malt there, too. Yeah, it could be Cascade. It also might be Centennial. Yeah, it might be Centennial. It's, it's definitely an American hop. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly American hopped. Well, I can't wait to taste it. Here we go, yeah, down we... the hatch. <laughs> if I can get through this monster head on my beer. Ooh, I like that. Ooh. Yeah, that's good. It, um... It's very fruity, uh, estery in, in the taste. Yeah, uh, there's there's bitterness at the end, not not nearly as bitter as the rogue, obviously, uh, but more bitter I think than the uh, than the red hook. Yeah, it has more body than the red hook, more flavor overall, yeah, almost creamy in a sense. The rogue's a special beast, I think. We're gonna mm-hmm. have, probably have to spe- classify that at the end of the show as rogue being its own special beast because <laughs> it's you know imperial bitter. Yeah, this has a nice flavor to it. I'm still analyzing, but yeah. I mean, there's different a bunch of different parts, so you know it's fairly complex. Yeah, I'm not sure whether, anymore whether those are Cascade hops. They might be Centennials, and maybe something else. But they're they're, def, they're they're hitting you as soon as you taste it, and they're not going away. They're, they're sticking with it as much as the bitter, if not over, if not a little bit over the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Uh, maltiness is kind of uh, very very small in this beer. I don't taste much of it. See, I think the the malt in it is a nice accompaniment to it. I think it's. You know, in the Rogue, it was very hard to find. Mm-hmm. In this, I think it's giving a nice uh, backup to to the bitterness on the flavor. I got to be honest with you, I'm not really tasting much maltiness. Uh, maybe a little bit near the middle, but it kind of just, the bitterness overrides the maltiness, and then you sort of have the hoppiness on the sides of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit in there. That last sip I had was harder to find. But it's a good balance, or I can't really say balance because it's leaning towards yeah, hops, but... Yeah. It, it's a nice balance that they found. The hops, the malt's doing its job. The hops are, you know, playing, you know, starter, starting quarterback in this yeah. beer. And, and uh, the bitter is still sticking with it. Boy, I'm trying to think of what food would go well with this. I almost want to say something bready. You want, you want to sort of bring a little bit of that breadness to it. Maybe a hamburger with a bun. Yeah, I was, actually, I was kind of thinking a burger along those lines. Yeah, I mean, this whole style goes good with all kinds yeah. of food. So it's, it's really hard to pick out something specific on these. You know, we don't eat as we do these, so we're just kind of throwing things out. Hmm, what would taste good? I do have some new cheeses in the fridge. Well, maybe we should give that a shot. I'm kind of curious. Okay, hold on one second, guys. Yeah, we're going to get some cheeses. Second. All right, we are back, and we have several fine cheeses here. This is the first time we're adding cheese to the show. Uh, we definitely think that cheese goes well with beer. We mentioned it, it before. great with beer. This is we're going to sort of try out the cheese with the ESB because I think we're both thinking that wow this ESB is so good we need to have something else to to go with it. Yeah, some of you might think you know everyone does wine and cheese. When I was on the beer cruise, we had a whole discussion about this, and beer goes better with cheese than wine does. Absolutely. So I guess our first, what should we try let's, first? Let's do the Gouda first since okay. that was on the recommended. It was under the right. was under the buttery selection for this beer. I'm going to taste another sip of this beer and try to get it out. You have some wafer crackers with this, too. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that goes well. It it calms it down a little bit. I'm not a huge fan of Swiss cheese. And, you know, as good as similar to Swiss. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it calms down 
the stuff in the Swiss cheese flavor that I don't care for as much. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I like the Gouda with the beer. I, I see what you're saying about it sort of calming down. I mean, I actually like the sour taste that comes out of Swiss. Okay. So I don't necessarily want it calmed down. And ESB, the, the, I think the beer in general, any liquid kind of calms that down. So. Okay. Okay, which one do you want to try next? What's this one with the rind here? This one is German Alpenjoy. And this one actually has salami in it. It smells smoky. Yeah, that's why I want to try it, because I think the smoky smell will go well with it. Okay. Yeah, it really complements each other well. It's got that the sourness and that sort of smokiness. really goes well with the, with the hops that are being used here. Yeah, I'm just enjoying it. It tastes <laughs> really good together. It's a great cheese, and the beer just makes it that much better. I guess whatever when they add in the salami to it, that makes it really good. Yeah. Yeah, this is a pretty good cheese by itself. But this isn't craft cheese radio. This is craft beer radio. So. Yeah, let's let's not bore our listeners. <laughs> I do want to try this one. This one here that uh, what's this one called? It's a, oh, it's an Ilchester with ale, and mm. it's actually described as having a hoppy taste to it. So. Well, it's worth a shot. Yes. Hmm. Now I'm getting more dill than I'm getting hops. Okay. Well, no. Did you get it? Yes. Yes, I did. Right at the end. When you're about to swallow it, it really comes through. There's definitely hoppiness there. It's a nice tart cheese. Yeah. You know, it doesn't quite taste like a blue, but it, it's one of those ones where it's it's, it's tart and rough like a, yeah. like a blue or a... Um, yeah, I'm a gorgonzola? A gorgonzola, that's it. Uh, I'm not... Honestly, I don't think it goes well with the beer. The beer is kind of sort of... A lot of the taste is canceled out and you're getting some maltiness out of the beer. So it does bring out the maltiness of the beer, but I don't think it goes nearly as well as the smoked. Yeah, it's too aggressive. Yeah. The cheese is too aggressive for this style of beer. You know, since you like that other smoked one, we have the smoked Rambul, this one here. I think we should move on to our next beer first. Oh, okay. And our last beer of the evening is the Flying Fish ESB. This is from Flying Fish Brewing Company in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. They have an annual production of 8,000 barrels. With a distribution area that's kind of small, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, D.C., Florida, and I guess Pennsylvania, if we were able to get it here. Yeah. Then I put Pennsylvania on the list. Nope. Okay. Yeah, they're available in Pennsylvania. But Maryland twice, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> they're extra available in Maryland. Interesting story about this brewery. Gene Mueller... When he started planning this brewery, he did it online. He like it was he like blogged about starting this brewery and took people's input and the logo was a competition or a contest, you know, so people that are reading his his journal, his blog, you know, that's where the flying fish logo came up with. And the flying fish logo is pretty cool. If you haven't seen it, it's a it's like a a fish bone, like something Heathcliff would eat, yeah. but it has wings and, and jet engines or <laughs> propeller engines on it. It's a really cool logo. Because the fish that flies. It's available year-round. Uh, and they have other, another distinguished beer they have is their Abbey Double, which I would like to try on whenever we do our double show. Yeah, I've had it, and it was, it was good. I liked it a lot. They have an extra pale ale, which is an interesting style. It's... It's like a light, lighter pale ale, mm-hmm. and 
to me that sounds like something that's undesirable. Yeah. So I want more flavor. But it's interesting. It's 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 drinkable. Again, I, I myself like more flavor. So I thought the extra pale ale was going the wrong direction. <clears throat> it's worth a shot. I'm glad they're trying something different. Uh, let's see here. Let's take a look at this beer. And this is probably the lightest of, well, it's darker, but in terms of the the light that's coming through, it's a lot more light. It's very, very uh, translucent beer. The head, though, is nice and large and staying with it. I'm getting a multi-aroma. Yeah, it's very multi-aroma, not getting much in the way of hops. It has a, has a nice... A little bit. There's a little bit of hoppiness there, a little bit of citrus hop. It has a nice head to it. It's um, not as creamy as the last one, but it uh, clings to the side of the glass. It's, it's nice, a nice, healthy head for the beer. Hmm. It's, it's a clear one. You can you see, you know, I can see Greg right through it there <laughs> looking back at me in an orange glow. That's malty. It's a very malty taste without much in the way of bitterness. Yeah, it tastes a lot like the ambers we did last yeah. week. Yeah. Very interesting they call this an ESB because I would probably classify it as an amber if I didn't know what it was. Yeah, it, from the ambers that we tasted last week, this would fit in line with the the bells. It's a little, little less sharp than the bells is. Well, on the other hand, I'm, I'm starting to get some bitterness as I sort of, as it goes. But it's it's small. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm tasting a flavor that I really remember from last week yeah. in the amber ales. Yeah, this is this is much closer to an amber than any other beers we've had. Now, this is what cheese was this? The smoked one? Smoked rambul. Smoked rambul. It's great cheese. It's a creamy cheese. I'm not sure if it goes with this beer too well, though. Um, I think it, it does. It brings more flavor out of the beer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I was wrong. I took a bite of the cheese, and I had a sip of the beer, you know, a few seconds ago. I took a bite of the cheese, and it didn't seem... But then I took a sip immediately after, and the beer tasted more... More what? Full. The cheese has multiple tastes to it. The cheese kind of starts out creamy and then ends uh, almost a little bit sour. And I think that really amplifies some of the tastes that are in the beer. Wow, that time... What I tasted in the beer was the alcohol. I'm tasting like the... the yes, I taste that too. taste the alcohol now. And it's a flavor that I like. When I'm drinking strong barley wines, imperial stouts, that's something I want to get out of the beer. Not not to get drunk, but it's because I like that yeah. character in those style beers. And after taking a bite of this smoked rumble and drinking this, when you have the beer on your tongue and you breathe a little air over it, you really get the, the alcohol like evaporating it, yeah. and you get that aroma and flavor from it. I'm tasting, I think the bitterness comes out more with the cheese. This really kind of what we want to point out is how great cheese goes with beer and how if you just go to your local grocery store and see what kind of cheese they have and try it with some beer, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, some of the cheeses are kind of expensive, but it's worth it. Yeah, this... You know, I first said this beer doesn't go with this cheese. It goes really yeah. well. It makes the beer taste twice as good as it did beforehand. And that's not a knock on the brewer, you know, because our taste buds have tasted four beers tonight. Yeah. They're already kind of tired. And, and so the cheese is nice to sort of open them up. Almost, I don't want to say a palate cleanser because it's certainly not stopping any other taste, but it's definitely it, it's allowing pri- other it's, taste to go through. It's priming the taste buds. Yeah. For the beer. 
And yeah, like I said, it's not a knock on the brewer, but this cheese really makes this beer taste good. Mm-hmm. This is about the time when we decide what what order we like the beers, and some of the cheese is going to influence that. I think. Oh, it's definitely going to influence it. Right now, eating this with or drinking the flying fish beer with the rumble is my favorite. Yeah, the flying fish before I had cheese with it was. I would have ranked it last. I think. Yeah, probably last. So that's an interesting experiment for all of you. Mm-hmm. Our least favorite beer of the night that we think. Having just plain drinking beer after beer became our most flavorful and most interesting, mixed with a proper primer with the cheese that you know set it off just right. Now we need to go get another Great Divide, yeah, and another Rogue, <laughs> and try and those try with with, che- with this cheese. This cheese, we should probably mention what type of cheese this was because this is really good. Yeah, it's a smoked Rambouille. It's a very creamy cheese. I mean, it has the texture of a brie. The rind isn't quite as thick on it. It's not as funky mm-hmm. as a brie rind is. We should probably try this Gouda before we do anything else. We have one cheese left here we haven't tried, which is this Gouda. No, that's the... Um, it's not the Gouda? No, this is the... Oh, it is a Gouda. It's a chili pepper yeah, Gouda. chili pepper Gouda. It's got chili peppers in it. Yeah, it's a cheese that has so much flavor. It's probably not a very good cheese for drinking or tasting with beer or wine or anything. It's pretty much a... Eat with sausages, standalone. What did that do to the beer? You should have seen Greg's face right there. <laughs> He's looking at the glass like, where'd the beer that I love go? Yeah, that's that's not quite what I was expecting. Okay. Um, it kind of takes away a lot of the flavor of the beer, and you're left with this very estery sort of concoction. You don't really taste much else. Oh, yeah. That, Wow. <laughs> It's amazing how that beer changed in one yeah. sip with the different cheese on your tongue. So, if if nothing else, this little experiment here should motivate you to go experiment with beers and cheeses. Yeah. It's great fun. If you, and if you find the right ones, like this Rumble and the Flying Fish, wow. It, it, it turned into a whole new beer. But if you eat it with the wrong cheese, like that chili pepper Gouda... <laughs> That last sip was back down towards the bottom. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I were just going to compare the beer without the cheese now, which I'm trying to do, trying to clear my memory, in terms of how I would rank them, even even counting Rogue in, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Great Divide was the best of them all. Uh, I would count the Rogue second, and then uh, I'd put Flying Fish and then Red Hook. I think that's a good arrangement. I wish I could try them all with the smoked rumble. Yeah. <laughs> I just ate some more of that smoked rumble. I had almost a lot, you know, I have a little bit of this flying fish left, but it was almost gone. It was so good again. <laughs> it brought right back. You take a bite of that gouda in the flying fish and take a bite of the rumble in the flying fish. It's like two completely, completely different, different beers. beers. Yeah. It's amazing. Beers by themselves. I would put the rogue and the great divide side by side. Depends on my mood, which one I like better. The Rogue is in your face and bitter. Mm-hmm. It's brutal bitter. Great Defied was a, I don't want to say balanced beer, but the balance worked well together. Mm-hmm. So Flying Fish really didn't get great until it got the cheese involved, but right. then, the, then it was great. Yeah, because the Flying Fish was malty yeah. until we tasted the cheese. It's true. And the Red Hook had that little bit of, uh, had a surprising amount of hoppiness to it for what I was expecting. You got a good point there. I, I may have to switch mine around because I'm just thinking just the beer 
And like we said, the flying fish kind of just tasted like an amber. It didn't taste like an ESB, whereas the, the red hook at least had that ESB character to it. I think I might put the... Again, let's specify that all four of these beers... Are good beers. Are very good beers. Yeah. And you're not going to go wrong by having any of these four. We will say, however, that what you might want to expect out of flying fish if you get it is more of an amber taste. Yeah, it definitely tastes like an amber ale. And even with the cheese, it might not taste like a bitter, but it certainly brings that beer yeah. alive, that's for sure. If it woke up all four of these beers the same way, holy smokes, wow. would this have been a good show. Wow. All right. I guess our last segment of the night is we're going to just... It's not quite the same macromuck we've been doing before, because we just have a couple stories here that we found that are... We found some mainstream media stories that just agitated us. So we can call this like our macromuck quickies or yeah. something like that. The first is Todd English. Now, I just saw him compete on Iron Chef, and, um, and he lost. <laughs> <laughs> he is um, endorsing now... Todd English is a chef, and he's endorsing... Anheuser-Busch's Michelob as the gourmet lager. Now, I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Any of the Pilsners we tried are 80,000 steps above Michelob, as well as really almost any micro-brew lager you can find on the market. Right. I don't want to plagiarize, so I'll give this credit. There's a column written on BeerAdvocate.com, and some of the following corollaries are ones they brewed at Todd English's restaurant. He's replaced all the rustic breads with Wonder Bread. <laughs> the fine wines with Mad Dog 2020. Grape flavored. Mmm, grape. Select cuts of beef with McDonald's burgers. My favorite is artisan cheeses with Velveeta. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh herbs and spices with McCormick and Mrs. Dash. Yeah. That's, that's what he's kind of saying by saying that Michelob is the gourmet lager. And you'd expect a chef who has more refined tastes than that. Who, from what I saw on The Iron Chef can make some pretty good-looking stuff. Would it know better than to say, oh, this Michelob is a gourmet lager, but he was clearly bought out. Yeah, he sold out, and it just boggles the mind. I'm sure he has the best wine selection you can get in Boston, right? Uh-huh. Best wine selection you can get. And, well, he's uh, paid to promote Anheuser-Busch beers. It just, you know, you figure... It's really sad. You, you wonder why... I think they mentioned this in the article in the article on Beer Advocate, that so many of these good restaurants that have great selection of wines have four or five beers, and they're all these cheapo macro lagers. Whereas if they would have a great selection of beer to go with their food, just imagine. I mean, look at how great we thought the beer was with this Gouda. Imagine if you could, if a chef would pair a great beer with a dish, and he would recommend it. Just think about how great that would be. A real chef and a real restaurant we hope, would bring a great beer with a great meal together. Yeah, I don't eat at four-star restaurants all the time, but I eat at you know, three-stars or, you know, fancier ones. And they're usually pretty disappointing with their beer selection. And I try to, you know, mention something. I think I'm from the, after reading this article, it made me wake up, and I'm going to start talking with the manager or whatnot and explaining that, you know, I want good beers to go with these food. And if they'll look at me like... What do you mean good beers? Miller High Life, the champagne of beers. And I'm like, no. And I'm going to, you know, 
I'm going to get business cards made up for Craft Beer Radio. I'm going to hand in these cards and say, <laughs> you listen to these shows. I think we have to really – we have to, if we can, get through to chefs and have them taste the beers and say, wow, this would taste really good with my whatever. I was reading a story not too long ago. Some guy – I wish I had this prepared – was going to one of the uh, food culinary institutes. I think it was in Chicago. And – he joined there because he saw somewhere that there was a homebrew club or a beer tasting club or something. And the club had gone extinct a couple years earlier. Mm. So he revitalized it. And they have all the chefs from the Culinary Institute come and they're introducing these guys to the craft beer. So it's a new generation of chefs that should know this. And as soon as a chef, they're going to be open-minded. They're going to try all the food, Absolutely. all the wine. And as long as they have that inkling that there's craft beer out there. There should be no reason that they won't use the beer, too. You know, a lot of these chefs probably just don't know that there's craft beer out there. We'll move on to this Des Moines Register editorial. There was an L.A. Times editorial that uh, talked about how to drink beer. It was pretty good. I think it might have been the one that I posted on the website a it, while ago. That really gave you an idea of, you know, beer is not just for swilling back and, and throwing the can away. Uh, that this, you know, beer was not just the American macro... Pilsner. Right. So the editorial, the byline was Des Moines Register editorial staff. They wrote on this thing about, you know, why would you want to do that? And basically it came out that you're not cool if you drink your beer out of a glass and let it warm up and enjoy it. They'll make fun of you if you do that. Yeah. And poo-poo to you, Des Moines Register. Seriously. I mean, I got to think there are some people in Iowa who know what good beer is, and it's clearly not the staff of the Des Moines Register. At the last paragraph, you might want to confine this process to home. However, folks congregating down at the corner tap might have good cause to wonder about the sanity of someone who holds a freshly pulled draft to his nose and waxes eloquently about the aromatics. That's exactly what we do. <laughs> That's Okay, not everyone has to smell their beer. Right. But to appreciate writing an editorial taste, that yeah. makes fun of these people makes fun of me. Uh, uh-huh. We're just we're really annoyed with the Des Moines Register at this point. I guess that's the end of our show this week. Next week we'll be back with we think American Pale Ales for Craft Beer Radio. This is Jeff Bear. This is Greg Weiss, and thank you for listening. And listen to our extras. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Hey, hey, hey,